This podcast is not suitable for work. If you're under the age of 18, kindly and with all due respect, get the fuck out. I mean it. Go on. Bye-bye. Mm-mm. See you later. This isn't for you. Nope. Mm-mm. America has a strange relationship with sex. We're obsessed with it, but it terrifies us. We censor it because it's constantly being shoved down our throats. But our dirty little secret is we like things shoved down our throats, especially when we're in bondage or we're wearing leather or being slapped around a little bit. And, oh, God. <clears throat> I'm Sunny Megatron. Join Ken Melvoinberg and I as we explore, dissect, and demystify American sex. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. American Sex with Ken Melvoin Berg and Sonny Megatron. Ken, we're on. It's your turn. Go. Be interesting. <laughs> I'm hungover. I'm not going to be interesting. Oh, come on. Go why are you, why are you hungover? Because I had too much beer. Go fuck yourself. Well, no, I didn't think you had too many Tide Pods. Like, I know you're, you're, <laughs> you're hungover from alcohol, but is there a story, like an interesting story we could hear? I went and did a 1920s gangster era prohibition pub crawl where I started drinking, and then I had an evening with my friend Dave and continued drinking to late into the night. That's it. That's it. It's nothing very exciting. We had a good conversations. We had intended on going to the uh, Shining pop up, but the line for it was so long. The Shining. It, yeah, they have a the uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining pop up bar, wow. and we were going to go there, but the line was too long, and we waited and waited and waited. So we ended up going to Tumans instead. Cool. Speaking of Tide Pods. And I, I don't drink very much. No, you don't. So I'm... You came home a little drunk. It was cute, though. You're oh, cute Oh, I was way You're drunk. Cute. You're like, woo! I fell asleep in the in the Uber, too. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I totally was like... <laughs> <laughs> now, but speaking of Tide Pods, we got a very concerned note this week from our child's high school. Oh, yeah. From the principal that was like, parents, we regret to inform you that we had to confiscate the belongings of a student. They were found to have Tide Pods in their backpack. Luckily, no one has consumed these Tide Pods, <laughs> but please talk to your children about the dangers of Tide okay, Pods. Okay, this shit is fucking ridiculous. When I was a kid, I brought like LSD and brass knuckles to school. Kids now, they're really? bringing detergent. And, th- and that's <laughs> and a much they're, more... And they're, yes, they're really. hurting more people with the detergent than, than you, you did, ever did, did with, with your ass and With my ass and brass knuckles. Yeah, with my ass knuckles. What? I'll give you some ass knuckles. <laughs> so when I was two... How do you remember anything when you don't remember shit when you're two? I cannot explain the things my memory remembers and the things my memory doesn't, but I clearly remember this. Let me tell you the story. <sighs> you know, the Pyrex measuring cup we have in the kitchen with the red numbers? Yes. That was my grandma's, my mother's mother's I that know. I lived with. That was also the same measuring cup that my grandma filled with downy and put it in my little two-year-old hands and said, now walk across the hall to Grandmother Helen's apartment and give her this downy. She's trying to borrow some downy. And it was like the first independent thing my grandma ever had me do. So we lived in a, a family apartment building where it's like my grandma's door, my great grandma's door were five feet away from each other. So I remember having this Pyrex 
measuring dish in my hand, which was probably the width of like a plate to my little body. Like I remember it being huge and looking down at the downy and it was this pretty fluffy blue, like cotton candy. And I remember hearing behind me, my grandma's door close. And at that moment I was like, I'm alone in the hallway with pretty blue liquid. And I remember looking up at my grandma Helen's door, like I'm supposed to go in there. But if I just wait a minute, and I looked at the blue, and I was like, "Pretty delicious." And I looked at Grandma Helen's door, and I decided to drink the downy because it just looked so pretty and blue that it must taste good. She should have given you brass knuckles and acid to get the Grandma <laughs> Helen. <laughs> and I don't remember. That's all I remember was like I remember seeing this giant Pyrex measuring cup, and now this is a one cup measuring cup. So now that I'm adult, it's this tiny little thing. But I remember it was like bigger than my head and i remember lifting it up to my head and opening my mouth like here comes the most delicious thing ever and then i don't remember anything else and the family tells me that i finally knocked on my grandmother helen's door with an empty pyrex thing and they had to take me to the hospital and get my stomach pump but i don't remember any of that i just remember hmm should i no one's looking pretty blue and that's it i should have given you brass knuckles and acid Brass knuckles and acid are much, way, much better. They're way better. So, hi, friends. I'm Sunny Megatron, otherwise known as Downy Drinker. And this is Ken Melvoin Burke. And welcome to American Sex. I don't know. Are we really American sex? Our government shut down right now. Our government shut down. Are we just sex? And our guest <laughs> this week is Australian, but she's moving to the States. Cindy Darnell is our guest. We'll tell you about her in a minute. So, uh, we're American. I mean, we're. Are we just akin? Because akin? there is no America. America's just closed right now. It's still America. Yeah. Right. 7-Eleven is still 7-Eleven when it's closed. That's a bad example because 7-Eleven never closes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, like the government. Like it's not supposed to be closed, but it is. Ken, what do we have going on this week? Here on American Sex Podcast, we give away sex toys and accessories every month. For January, we're giving away a Crave Vesper 24 karat gold vibrating necklace valued at $150. Now, that's not just a necklace that vibrates. It's actually a vibrator for your pussy. It's been provided by our awesome sponsor, Castle Megastore. Head on over to SunnyMegatron.com backslash Vesper, V-E-S. P-E-R to enter. We'll draw the winner on Sunny's Facebook page live on February 1st. Also, if you want to buy this or anything else from Castle Megastore, our fans get 20% off their order at castlemegastore.com by using the code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, and do it at checkout. And I want to give a huge shout out to our newest Patreon supporters who joined our happy Patreon family in the last week. So big welcome and heartfelt appreciation to Crystal and Samantha. Hi. Crystal and Samantha listeners. Now, don't forget, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash American sex to hear our guests bonus stories. And many of them are absolutely free. So this week's guest, Cindy Darnell tells us a hilarious story about a really shitty date. So many of our bonus stories, again, are completely free. But if you do choose to support us monetarily on Patreon, you will get other perks like access to episodes early, additional bonus material and occasional random gifts. 
In fact, I have a scandal red room kit I'll be mailing out to a random January supporter. And, you know, I might even pick another thing or two to send out to some other folks. So there's still time for you to be one of those people. After January pledges are billed on February 1st, I will go ahead and select who gets something. So pay attention to your Patreon inbox. You may just get a note from me that something is on its way. And right now there's only eight of you. So the odds are pretty damn good that you might get what I'm sending. Now, this week's guest is the absolutely amazing Cindy Darnell. Cindy Darnell is Australia's most in-demand sex and relationship therapist, spearheading progressive sex and relationship seminars for adults that deeply change people's lives. And in 2015, she was the only sexologist named on Mind Body Green's Top 100 Women to Watch. Her approach spans the clinical to the esoteric and is a reviewer and contributor to the academic journals Sex Education, Porn Studies, and Sex and Relationship Therapy. In 2015, she released The Atlas of Erotic Anatomy and Arousal, a pioneering educational video series designed to give upfront adult information about sex, the body, and most importantly, pleasure. She's currently working on her first book, exploring the fusion of the mind, body, and heart in enhancing and exploring libido and desire. Her five degrees range from a bachelor's in adult education to two master's degrees in sexology and psychotherapy. A regular in the Australian media, she has appeared on TV, radio, and print, as well as being a principal consultant and advisor on Northern Pictures' Lukewarm Sex, now available on Netflix. She counsels individuals and couples, offers training to professionals on sex and the human condition, and offers insight into the quandaries of the erotic to transform fear into freedom. Currently based in Australia, but soon to be in New York in 2018. We invited Cindy to give her take on the Me Too movement and what's more specifically been in the news, the Assis Ansari situation. Now, the purpose of our interview isn't to dissect that particular situation in a he said, she said type of way, but instead use that situation as a platform to zero in on a much larger societal issue. That is that many of us have had our own Assis situation, and in fact, it's so common that it's become normalized as just being a quote, bad date, or what some guys do, no big deal. And it really is a big deal. We've been taught that this sort of behavior is okay, and we really do need to change that. Now, just a couple of notes. In this particular conversation with Cindy, we zero in on the dynamic of heterosexual dating situations specifically, you know, where gender norms and societal conditioning based on those norms come into play. So that's not to say that these dynamics or sexual assault can't be perpetuated by people of all genders and that this dynamic cannot exist outside of heterosexual coupling. It's just what we're specifically talking about in this conversation. Now, another note that I found particularly interesting, but I didn't really think about until after our conversation with Cindy, we're older. Ken and I are close to being in our 50s. We're Gen Xers that grew up in a time when when dads talked to their sons about sex. You know, they taught them, okay, keep pushing, keep grabbing a boob, and, you know, eventually you'll get some, because that was the norm. That's what boys did. And moms told their daughters to always protect their precious goods. And even if they did want to say yes, keep saying no a few times so they didn't seem too easy, because it was bad to look too eager. So not to mention, you know, at that time, we didn't know sex could exist outside the bio and that people were anything other than straight. But 
I do wonder if in our conversation, our perspective, the three of us is more generational. You know, a lot of millennials listen to this podcast. And I wonder if that type of socialization and those stereotypes that I'm talking to you millennials, were they as impactful in your lives as they were in ours? So it's just a thought. I have no idea what the answer is. But if you'd like to start that conversation, you know, tweet me, tweet the show, American Sex Pod. I'm Sunny Megatron on Twitter. You know, Talk to us on our social media posts because I'm eager to hear other people's perspectives. So as always, be easy on yourselves. If all the talk about Me Too and a season sorry has you worn out it's perfectly fine to skip this episode. You can always come back to it later. But do, if you do that, do go to our Patreon and listen to Cindy Darnell's story. Her shitty date story is amazing. And uh, on that note, here's Cindy. You had one job. I know one I had one job. job. <laughs> I got so excited. One fucking job. This I, is going to be the beginning right here. You know this, right? Yes. One I, fucking job. All right. So so listeners, we just wanted to tell you that we've been having a great conversation. And <laughs> Sonny forgot to press record. So take two. Go ahead. Intro Sonny. Go. Oh, God. All right. You know what? I'm modeling vulnerability and honesty right now. Okay. All of our listeners. <laughs> throughout the course of our conversation i'm sitting here red face i don't know i'm just pulling this out of my ass yeah i'm embarrassed i forgot to hit record <laughs> we all fuck up so <laughs> as we were saying so eloquently saying too hopefully we're just as eloquent the reason that we're all talking now first of all cindy we have been wanting to talk to you and then there is a catalyst that sparked us like going yeah we got to get on the horn today and we got to talk about this yeah. in light of the the, the me too movement and now just recently in the news the a season sorry situation mm -hmm. um you had written a post on facebook that just made me you know i screamed like yes like football touchdown like the angels open and the, the angels open the heavens open <laughs> It's a whole gory other fantasy. Like, that's another show. Are we doing show. some sort of religious yeah. play? Is that what's going on? <laughs> you know, we have those radio angel wings back there. I've got a robe. I could throw that on for you. Opening angels with right. Sunny Megatron. Oh, All right, listeners. Well, we played Mommy death. Dearest and Christina last week. So yeah. I think angel and Naughty Sinner could be this week. But baby steps for the listeners. We have to talk about emotional literacy and consent before we can start role-playing opening angels. Um, but, but, <laughs> That's my new band name, by the way. <laughs> So the heavens open and the angels sing <laughs> because what you wrote, it just, it hit the nail on the head. You said everything that I've been thinking. And that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to read part of your, what you put on Facebook and then the rest of it, it's a little long. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes. So if people want to read everything mm. you've written, so I'll, I'll start to read a little bit of it and then I'll just kind of summarize the rest. So you had said, I feel like I've been screaming into the abyss about adult sex education for 20 years. I'm sure many of my colleagues do too. And yes, we do. Consent means nothing if you don't care about the well-being of the person or people you're with. If respect is not an embedded value, seeking permission alone is ineffective when a better question could be, how would you like me to touch you? 
I'm not even going near nonverbal cues here yet. If excessive violation of someone's boundaries is preferable to feeling anxious and awkward momentarily because talking about sex makes you feel uneasy, this is what happens. We know this. Yet we pretend we don't need to talk about sex differently. We pretend that sex ed is just for kids and that its processes are clear and easy. We pretend sex is, quote, someone else's problem or we just don't care. And you go on to talk about things that, you know, people of all ages need to talk about this stuff that we're constantly hearing about abuse and manipulation in relationships and dating and sex, and that mm. we generally don't handle our feelings well. And this is a, a social problem as well as an individual shortcoming. Mm-hmm. And that in the media, when we hear sex talked about more often than not, it's usually part of something bad. You know, it's a violent narrative and we don't talk about the pleasure component. So as I said, I was like, oh my goodness, you are reading my mind. You said everything I wanted to say, but way more eloquently. (laughs) Um, So where did this come from? Why did you write this? Mm, I think because, I I mean, I've been following the Me Too thing as as we all have. And then more recently, this Aziz Ansari story popped up, which to my mind was a very different kind of story as it's, it's as much as um, what happened between Aziz and Grace sounded, you know, unpleasant. Um, it's it feels to me like it's in a very different bag from the stuff that was happening with Weinstein and Spacey and all those other guys. So what has happened is that there has been so much focus about. Uh, sex and power relations and abuse and scandals in the media in the last three or four months, which is fine. That need Those conversations absolutely need to happen. But what is disproportionately weighted against uh, folk like us in particular from the other side of the sex coin is that we are not hearing equal conversations about pleasure and well-being. We are not hearing conversations about how can we do this differently All we are hearing is, you know, you're doing it wrong, but no one is saying this is perhaps how we could do it differently. Mm -hmm. And what really started to piss me off was not that people were complaining about power abuse and, and violations and so on and so forth. I think that that stuff absolutely needs to be talked about. But when we start making distinctions around or when we are not making distinctions around how we can do sex differently and what it is about centering pleasure and centering communication as something integral and essential to what is being omitted from these conversations no one is talking about that everyone's banging on about consent which is great we need to bang on about consent however making consent the sole and central focus of an erotic exchange, quite frankly, is not enough. If we are not talking about necessarily what we're doing and how we're doing it and what our motivations for doing it are and the things that are motivating us to do sex in the first place, whether it's vanilla sex or kinky sex or whatever kind of sex, opening angels, um, (laughs) it's going to (laughs) be, you know, including everybody, um, We are going to be left just always a little bit behind the eight ball. We need to be able to get comfortable 
with talking about sex even if it makes us feel a little bit awkward, even if it makes us feel a little bit anxious. So what I, it prompted me to write this was as I was reading the whole Ansari story, I started thinking, okay, you know, he was behaving like a bit of a jerk, for sure. He definitely should have been listening to her. She certainly was saying, you know, I'm not into this, etc., etc. I think that was fairly clear. Everybody would agree that mm -hmm. that transaction sounded pretty unpleasant. But what was not happening on either side, and I'm not blaming either of them here, but this is a, this is something that is a very much a social problem, is that neither of them were talking about what they want to do, how they want to do it, or what they could do instead of these things. So when he's saying to her, you know, she's got her bent over in front of the mirror and he's saying to her, how do you want me to fuck you or where do you want me to fuck you or something you were saying like that, um, and in her mind, she's thinking, I don't want to fuck at all, which is fine. So mm -hmm. both of them, he's allowed to say to her, you know, where do you want me to fuck you? And she's allowed to say, I don't want to fuck. That part is cool. But what didn't happen next was how do we talk about well, what do we want to do? Well, how do we talk about uh, what other things are possible for us? Or the fact that he was repeatedly going in for the you know for the feel going in for to touch her and not stopping to ask her what would she like instead or for her also that you know criticism of her not speaking up now i recognize that she was quite young um she hasn't found her sea legs yet in terms of being able to speak up about things and i know certainly when i was her age i found that difficult so i am also aware of that kind of power dynamic he's famous she's not all that sort of stuff would prevent her from feeling completely you know empowered for want of a better word to be able to speak up about things but what, imagine what would happen if we lived in a culture where you know teenagers were taught how to negotiate sex in ways that were meaningful and relevant where they weren't always defaulting to fucking and they were able to actually explain ways that they would like to be touched where she's talking about you know he's sticking her, his fingers in her mouth and then sticking his fingers in her pussy and she's just going god this is shit um if they could have negotiated that part differently where she'd say hey you know i want you to do this or i want you to do that or him asking her before going in for the kill as it were none of this stuff happened and i'm really tired of media articles not not emphasizing how things could have looked different instead when we just simply pretend that sex is this easy thing and that sex is like this you know it's like saying f food is fantastic but we don't talk about what kinds of food we talk about sex as if it's this this sort of magical thing that we all know what we mean but there's so many different kinds of sex and when we talk about food we talk about different kinds of food and we allow ourselves permission to explore the varieties of food, but we don't talk about sex in public with such freedom and such emphasis on the sensorial aspect of it because there's a, in, something inherently taboo in describing the flavors of sex that is not a taboo in describing the flavors of food, and this is the kind of conversation that needs to change. I, I have something I want to ask the both of you, and I know you don't want me to talk about this because we've been going back and forth about me varying from the subject just a little bit. Uh -huh. But there's a conspiracy theory involving 
this were the source of the Aziz Ansari story. Now, do you know who funds Babe.net? Uh, do I? No. Rupert Murdoch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, there's a couple things that are going on here, uh, and there are people that are theorizing. Now, again, this is all conspiracy theory. Sure. Uh, but Aziz Ansari is a left-wing Muslim comedian. Yeah, and some right. people are thinking that it's a character assassination. Like, there is definitely truth to the assault. There's no doubt about that. But that what they're saying is the tone of the article may be, I don't want to say embellished, that's not the right word, but it's mm. flavored in biased. a different... Biased. Yeah. Biased. Yeah, that's, that's mm. the word I'm looking mm, for, right. is biased. Mm-hmm. Um, would any of that, like, if any of that were true, would that change your opinion on the story? Uh... Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say no, simply because I don't think what he did was uh, great, but I also don't think that he needs to be dragged through the coals for what he's done. Right. We, I, I'll, I'll speak about myself. I have had uh, sexual escapades that are kind of similar to what, she was describing they were you know just kind of average and in retrospect i could have spoken up more the guy could have spoken up more you know we we all could have done things differently but uh for me personally i would not classify those as an assault and i don't necessarily want to put words in grace's mouth to, to, to say to her that that was an assault or it wasn't it's up to her to interpret what that experience was for her but people have bad sex all the time, all the time. And his crime was not listening. His crime was being a bad lay. Now, a lot of people do that, and it's not an offence that should be dragged through international media. Whether he, the fact that he is a left-wing Muslim comedian there, there, there is are elements of that that can be true. I can't say one way or another the degree to which this is happening. Um, there, there could be an effect there, and not but, and he also uh, happens to be at the centre of this terrible story, and I feel I feel bad for both of them. I just think it's a shit situation all round. Oh, it's a shit sandwich. And and like Ken and I have been going back and forth about this, like and I feel similarly to the way you do. My point is that very well might be true. Maybe the conspiracy theory is true. Mm. To me they're two different issues. Yeah. Um Aziz is an example of and I'm I I'm gonna talk in absolutes, but of course I don't mean everyone, but kind of Every guy, you know, mm-hmm. most men, I, I, I'd be willing to bet my last dollar. I would be willing to bet the, the majority of men have been in that situation. They're socialized mm-hmm. to push mm-hmm. a little more, push mm-hmm. a little more. Mm-hmm. Don't ask. It's not mm-hmm. about her pleasure. It's about mm-hmm. yours. And I think mm-hmm. he is I, I've a vehicle, actually done that before. Right. I've, I, I've done things like send dick pics right. unsolicited, which is terrible. Right. That, mm-hmm. that is a, there's no gray area with sending a dick pic. That is a mm-hmm. consent violation. And mm-hmm. I didn't think about it like that at the time. Right. But I've yeah. done it. And, right. and he's opened up the dialogue because he, he represents most guys in hetero dating situations. And yeah. she represents a lot of women in a hetero dating situation. Absolutely. And I look at these as two different things is he has, you know, uh, been chosen as, you know, the post 
poster child, if you will, or mm. this couple have, have been chosen as the poster couple for as a platform for us to start talking about this conversation we should have yeah. been having a long time ago. Yeah. And whether this is a conspiracy theory or, you know, the, the right wing set him up and it was by a, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. To me, it's a completely different issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's yeah. that's where we've been like, rah, 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 like for the last twelve hours talking about yeah. this back and forth. Yeah, yeah. and that's. Uh, I think. I mean, I can't comment on the conspiracy side of it. I mean, I don't know that that news has even hit in Australia, or certainly hasn't hit to me. Um, but the fact remains that their interaction is is incredibly common among heterosexual people of a variety of different ages. And what it has done, as painful and awkward as it is, has opened up for us to have a discussion not about rape and violence, but about pleasure and what the hell we're doing when we go on hookups or dates or whatever it is that we're doing. And I think that that this is a really valuable conversation to be having because it is it does highlight the absence of women's pleasure in a hetero context. And this is what really needs to change. Mm -hmm. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I know we've talked about, all right, here are the conversations that we should be having. And here are the things that we should be doing. Let's talk about how we can really start to take actionable steps as individuals to start making that happen. So Uh we'll take a break. We'll be right back. I know you're fancy, and I know you've been eyeing some of those luxury sex toys, haven't you, you frisky little fox? Well, I also know that you enjoy a good discount, don't you, dear? You now can get 20% off your entire order, plus free shipping, at luxury sex toy retailer Lalo.com with discount code SUNNY. Yes, dear, you heard me right. 20% off anything your little heart, or, well, other parts, desire at Lelo.com using discount code S-U-N-N-Y. Yes, dear, you can thank me later. Castle Megastore. Once you see their sex toys, you'll want more. I have no idea if Castle Megastore actually has a theme song, but I really dig Castle Megastore. So that's my gift to you, Castle, your very own theme song. And you listeners get a gift too. If you go to CastleMegastore.com and use discount code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, when you check out, you will receive 20% off your order. That's amazing. Castle mega store when you get your sex toys you'll be on the floor because you'll be using them so much and they'll be so awesome and you'll save so much money you'll get more than one and then you'll climax for a really long time and you'll just be passed out and you'll be like oh my god give me water that was the best orgasm ever and we're back with Cindy Darnell. We've been talking about the Me Too movement and the, the recent news of Aziz Ansari. And we talked about before the break things we should be doing and things I think we all know on a an intellectual level that we should be having these conversations. But how do we now bridge that we know what we should be doing right to actually doing it as individuals? So let's say I'm... I'm your average, you know, hetero guy who has been socialized to like... Hi, Chad. (laughs) Hi, Chad. Uh, (laughs) I'm Chad. And I've been socialized to, you know, go out on a date with a woman and... Bro, give me five. 
bro, I'm giving it five. Bro, okay, bro, bro, dude, bro, give you five. Bro. Okay. So I've been socialized to, you know, move in for the kiss or grab a boob. And like, you know, everything is try to get some unless they say no. Mm. So where should I start changing my behavior and how should I start looking at things differently and behaving differently? In having these conversations, having these conversations with your male friends, having these conversations with the women that you're on dates with. And it might seem like, you know, a bit of a boner killer. It might seem like a bit of a, you know, an anticlimactic thing, but it's this is the thing and what I was make the point I was making in my Facebook post about if you would rather uh, violate boundaries than feel awkward momentarily, this is what happens. So it's about getting used to feeling awkward momentarily to avoid ending up being an abuser or being a go- the, that guy that nobody wants to be. So if you're thinking, I want to go for this, the kiss or I want to go for the boob or I want to go for the whatever, it's helpful to ask first or really that simple question of how would you like me to touch you or is there anything you don't want me to do? These are the kinds of things that are a useful introduction to getting this conversation going mm-hmm. whether you do that through face-to-face stuff if you're if you're on a live date or if you're hooking up on tinder or whichever app and you're sort of setting up your scenario in advance you can do it through text sometimes it is easier to do that sort of stuff through text at least just to get an initial conversation going and i know when i have been negotiating various things on tinder dates and what have you and some of the guys can be very forward. They'll they'll ask straight up, you know, are you into anal? And it's like, cheapers, you don't even know my last name. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, really? All right, we're there already? And sometimes folks can get offended. Like, you know, it's like, hey, you know, uh, you know, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? Are you into anal? It's like, uh, can we not have that conversation yet? But it is that difficulty about us just having to get used to having these conversations about sex and I think another really helpful thing for us to consider is who is going to benefit from these transactions so if when when a dude is saying are you into anal because he's trying to establish consent at a minimum so okay good you know thumbs up because you're asking first great but that is not enough in and of itself so when I am asked for example in a tinder context are you into anal my response is always how good are you at it <laughs> and that, <laughs> do you ever because, ask them are you into anal <laughs> and sometimes i do i'm like it depends <laughs> if you've had a shower you know so, <laughs> because when they say to me am i into anal my answer is going to be varied depending on who they are their skill level their experience and what exactly they mean by that so if when they say to me are you into anal that means can i drive my huge nine inch cock into your ass I might say no straight up because I like you know buy me a glass of wine first Mm -hmm. but (laughs) you know I don't know what they mean by that and so this is where things go wrong so sometimes I think you know Chad as we were talking about before before thinks I'm going to ask if you're into anal because that's how I establish consent and my response would be 
Nuh -uh, that's not actually what's going on. Consent is far more complex than yes and no. So when Chad says to, you know, woman X, are you into anal? She has got a multitude of responses that she can give back. The other thing about uh, consent and, let's say, you know, equality and emotional labor here is when Chad says to her, are you into anal? It puts the onus of the emotional labor in her response onto her rather than it being a shared conversation. So this is the other thing that also needs to change is that emotional labor around the negotiations are not just going to have to be about the woman having to explain what she wants and what she doesn't want all the time, where it's always the men doing the asking and the woman doing the permission granting. That dynamic needs to change as well. Right. So this is where our conversations need to change. This is where our questioning technique needs to get more explicit. So it's no longer questions that have yes or no answers. It has to be questions that create a much more contextualized uh, understanding of who's doing what to whom and how and the bigger question is who benefits from the transaction as someone who was socialized as a woman and up until I discovered the sex positive community and the kink communities where and which is why I think I, I took to them so much because you didn't play that weird flirting game where nobody mm -hmm. was really saying what they wanted. It was, wow, I found a community that could say like, I'm into X, Y, Z. How do you feel mm. about that emotionally? And, blah, 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 blah. and we could have this yeah. like, conversation with words, yeah. all the things. And I love it. Right. So but yeah. before that, I thought like the interaction with Aziz, just as an example, was a normal date that was your average guy that yes. I couldn't expect any more than that and then mm -hmm. couple that with being socialized as a woman having my own traumatic experiences being socialized to always be the people pleaser to not make mm -hmm. a man mad you know because mm -hmm. like if a man mm -hmm. isn't horny then he's angry right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and these are the things I've been taught so mm -hmm. I'm going to you know nod along and maybe my face is smiling but inside I'm screaming. So, A, you know, we have a lot of stuff we need to work through, and that's mm -hmm. a huge, complex question. But right now I'm mm -hmm. looking at Chad, okay? So when mm -hmm. Chad's talking to me... Bro. Should, <laughs> hey, Chad. Bro. bro. We're fist bumping. <laughs> so when Chad's talking to me, should he give some allowance for that, that I might have some personal trauma, some cultural trauma. I'm damn sure probably do have some cultural trauma mm -hmm, at least. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. to allow for that or kind of couch the conversation in that way to make it easy for me to speak up, knowing that it is most likely difficult for me to open my mouth and say what I really feel. Is that an expectation we should have of men in these situations? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that that, that a, a perception of trauma, that perception of uh, emotional labor is also something that men experience. So the fact that men feel pressured to be the ones who are doing the asking rather than the permission granting, that uh, in order for men to be able to have and facilitate intimate conversations about eroticism, they are the ones who often have to do the initiating with that. And that if they were to give themselves permission to not be the one who initiates those conversations, to let themselves be more receptive, just simply as an experiment to see what happens, can also be a useful technique 
to minimize their own trauma. Now, because I, I actually think that the way that men are socialized around this, um, you know, search and destroy kind of mentality when it comes to sex and women and all this sort of stuff uh, is not necessarily hardwired and it is very much a, a socialized response to upping their expression of, of masculinity and it's a version of masculinity that may be an authentic representation representation from time to time but I don't believe it is the totality of men's erotic expression I think that men's erotic expression is as vast and nuanced as women's erotic expression but because men will go in for the kill because they're socialized to and women will sit and be passive because they're socialized to reduces both of our capacities to participate in erotic exchanges that allow us a richer playing field of activities that we can do and emotional responses that we can engage with. Now, you had mentioned socialized responses as opposed to something that's physiological. Now, I have read a number of accounts of trans men. So these are mm -hmm. people who were female at birth and now, you know, mm -hmm. have a particular people that take testosterone. So yeah. these trans men have said, okay, you know, I grew up socialized as a woman, so I know all of those issues, you know, first hand. And now when I'm taking testosterone, yes, you know, there's a lot of socialized bullshit when it comes to men. However, that kick of testosterone, who that does a number. So it, and then I'll hear some guys saying it's all testosterone. We can't help it. So yeah. where do we find the balance there between nurture and nature? And what do we do about it? Yeah, I think it has to do with remembering your manners once you take your pants off. Because you might have, you know, biological impulses and biological imperatives that may or may not be connected to testosterone. I don't want to reduce anybody's experience of that. And I have also had conversations with trans men who have said since that they've been taking tea that they notice that these sort of impulsive things are much stronger and more powerful than they were before. Sure. Okay. We do a so lot of stupid shit. I mean, that's, yeah, <laughs> I think that's where that comes thing. from. Sure, and that's a thing, but that is not an excuse because, you know, just because you have an impulse to do something doesn't mean that you should necessarily do it. Stop and think about Correct. it first, you know. So if you're standing in the line at the supermarket and you need to, you know, scratch your ass and really get right in there, you have a, <laughs> you can either do it or you can stop and think, maybe I can just, you know, practice a little bit of breathe, mindful breathing here and wait until I get into the car before I dig right in in front of all of these people. <laughs> we all have the capacity to control ourselves, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and if you don't have the capacity to control yourself, maybe you need to go and see a therapist. And it, it also brings up something similar to what I tell my kids, you know, I mean, granted, there's not a learning disability or something else involved, like some kids in school find, you know, some kids find math really difficult, like they, it's just hard. But so then you're the person who has to work twice as hard for the eight, like you have to work a little harder, but that's just life. And maybe mm -hmm. you find science or English really easy. Mm -hmm. And the person that finds math easy doesn't like we all have our thing we might have to concentrate a little bit more on. But sure. it's not an excuse to, you know, not try your best because you don't have it as easy as the next person. Exactly, exactly. And part of living in a society, let's say a civilized society, is that we all have a social uh, obligation 
to not be a dick, you know, to not be an asshole. So part of our individual requirement as part of that broader social problem that we were talking about before is that we all make a commitment to keeping our own stuff as well managed as possible. So sometimes we're going to drop the ball a little bit, regardless of our gender, regardless of our orientation, regardless of whatever. We're going to have tantrums. We're going to say shit that we don't mean. Okay, that happens. You know, it's not about being perfect. But it is about recognizing that the way sex has been happening since humans were invented is really disproportionately weighted against the more vulnerable, the meek, the quieter, the femmes, whatever you want to call it. And if you believe in your heart of hearts that that is not okay, then you are obliged to be part of the solution rather than perpetuating the problem. And that's what I meant about in my Facebook post about if respect is not an embedded value, then we're all screwed. So if you actually believe that respecting your partners, your lovers, your playmates is a, a good thing to do, then that is going to be the motivator that helps you go, I'm, I'm going to ask about this or I'm going to initiate a conversation about this rather than just going in for the kill and hoping that it all works out well. And then if it doesn't work out well, my partner is the one who has to do the emotional labor to sort it out for me because I'm too much of a wimp to initiate that conversation in the first place. This is the thing that has to change. We have a few friends that have young boys, and this isn't directly sex-related, but it is romance-related. And what is happening right now with the Me Too movement, these young boys, are they have parents that are very lit. They're people that are teaching them about consent, about negotiation. They're like sex-positive parents. They're very sex-positive parents, and the boys in particular are afraid to tell a girl that they like them or get closer because of that, because they're afraid everything they do is going to be a consent violation. Is there any advice that you could give to these parents to help their boys? I think this is, I mean, this is the unfortunate backlash against the the over-representation in the media of sex and violence narratives. Because when we don't see st- stories about sex that are pleasure-focused, that are well-being focused, that are, you know, successful outcomes, for want of a better phrase, all we're seeing is stories that equate sex and violence. That's all we see. And we don't see these other stories. Now, this is a really difficult thing, and I feel for the parents because, you know, they're trying to do the best, they're trying to do the right thing. My suggestion, I guess, is to have a little bit of compassion for themselves and recognize that they are pushing it uphill with a stick in some ways because this is a much bigger problem than just, you know, a handful of parents in a town trying to teach young boys about oh, for this sure. kind of stuff. And, and because this stuff is not just what kids learn at home. It's a little bit what they learn at home. But from the research, the research literature around sex and sex education globally, what we know works is it's, a social, it's the social attitudes that the kids are, um, the environments that the kids are brought up in. It's not just the parents. It's not just school. It's not just the stuff they see on TV. It's the whole combination of things. And the most effective sex education programs that have been in place around the world have occurred in contexts where it's been an entire community that has supported the young people in their sex education. And this, is this again, is a much broader 
social topic that needs to change. But going back to your question about what, what advice do I have for the parents who are trying their best, be nice to yourselves, keep trying, and I'm on your side. This is tough. This is tough. Don't give up would be my advice. And know that even if there are minor uh minor transgressions and minor problems keep allowing conversations to happen at home with your kids about the awkwardness of this about the ambiguity of this about the paradox of this this shit is hard this is hard but it's not so hard that we shouldn't have a go at it yeah there there are so many nuances to this and so many you know and I, I hate the phrase shades of gray after the book but really I mean <laughs> you know and now we're into opening angels again yeah. but uh <laughs> but really there it's I think as a society people people's brains want to see things in black and white you're right or wrong you're black yeah. you're right you know not yeah. you're black you're white that's a wrong analogy but you know what I mean well maybe yeah. you know in some context that's what people are seeing but and um, that's a whole nother podcast but uh you know, all these nuances are necessary for one big reason that if the pendulum swings too far to the right with the Me Too movement. It's going to get like McCarthyism. It's going mm-hmm. to be every time anybody is accused mm-hmm. of anything, automatically mm-hmm. they're guilty. Mm. Um, and it's the court of public opinion on social mm. media that will mm. indict, try and convict them and be their judge, jury, executioner. And I think one of the things, I mean, I have been reading about some of the voices of dissent against the Me Too movement. And I, you know... As Margaret Atwood is one that was surprising. Yeah, look, you know, and I, I have empathy for it. I don't agree with it, but I do have empathy for it. But what my my assertion is around this is I think that that backlash and that anger is misplaced. It is not about the fact that these women and men are speaking up against rape and power injustice and sexual violations. I absolutely think that that needs to happen. But where the anger is being placed upon the victims and the survivors of sexual abuse. That's where the misplacement is happening. I think that the people who are pissed off at the Me Too movement need to actually have a look at where their anger should be. And it should be placed at the structures and systems in place that make these violators think that that's the only option they have. Imagine if those violators knew that they could have handled themselves differently. Not only knew that they could, but knew how to do it. Imagine if that was made compulsory knowledge and compulsory education rather than an elective or an optional extra that you did once you got to college and you thought, oh, I'll take a human sexuality class. Mm -hmm. Imagine if that was embedded in our community and social structures. So by the time a person gets to 15, 16, 18, you know, whatever, 50 years of age, that they already know that stuff because they've been brought up in a community that has said to them, this is how you do sex, this is how you ask for stuff, this is how you receive stuff. So that rage against the Me Too thing is justified to a degree, but I think it's misplaced. It's not against the victim's and the people who are screaming to say that this bad shit has happened to me. It's against a society that is deeply uncomfortable with talking about sex and why sex and pleasure matter. You bring up something that I was thinking about when we were, you know, last topic when we were talking about, you know, what do you tell teenage boys is something that I fight for, Ken fights for, all of our colleagues in sex education fight for is comprehensive sex education has to be in schools mm-hmm. it has to start mm-hmm. young um yeah. and in this country which you're you're going to be in this country soon 2018 
<laughs> you're coming to the states, so I am. No, I know. Everything's yeah. all fucked up when it comes to comprehensive sex ed. <laughs> But, it is here too. It is here too. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's, we're fighting. You know, we have the, the, the right is like, no, you can't even talk about sex. And then we have the left wanting to do, have comprehensive sex education to talk about emotional literacy and, and things that are more than just the mechanics of sex. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I honestly don't know, even though in some areas we do have comprehensive sex ed in other areas of the countries, country, we are so far away from that. And really, do you think that as a society as a nation even you know the the larger picture australia the world Mm -hmm. we can actually get to the place that we're talking about without having all or the majority of kids growing up with that comprehensive sex ed and that uh open conversation do you think that's even possible no that's sad. Now I want to all huddle and cry. I want to cry. Yeah. Sweetheart, there's the American, think, the American South. There's no freaking way. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, we have to ask ourselves, how bad does, do things have to get before we realize that we're doing it wrong? Yeah. You know, I just like this. Is this is this the rock bottom point or does it have to get worse than this? I just there is not going to be a way around this. I don't think people are magically going to rise up and, you know, see the light as it were and start opening angels. I think, um, <laughs> that's gotta be know, a tagline. for this episode, <laughs> <by the way. laughs> I, I, it has to come through education, but again, not just in schools. I'm, I'm sort of loathe to place this only on teachers or only on educators. I think, you know, we can embed this kind of stuff in sports, uh, sports organizations. So places where young people congregate, um, theater clubs, uh, movie theaters, like, you know, wherever young, wherever there are young people, this conversation needs to be happening. This needs to be embedded, not just in like a health class that's for one hour a week at school. This can be embedded in English class. This can be embedded in social science class. This can be embedded in math class. There is no reason why sex education has to be this separate topic where you get ushered into a room you know with curtains drawn and everybody's you know speaking in hushed tones fuck that shit let's just make it you know drip filtered into every aspect of education every aspect of social life when you finish school and you go to your football class or your basketball or your tennis or your whatever um that it again it's just embedded in conversation with coaches and uh with the people around you i mean that's my fantasy and i know that there are maybe folks going to be listening to this podcast going oh that's never going to happen and you know maybe it will maybe i see it happen but that's my utopian vision yeah, I see it happening. We have a, our youngest is 16, our oldest is 22, and they're, they're both girls. And I see it happening. I see it in my daughter's theater group. I see it. But again, we're in a progressive big city. Yeah. You know, she's part of some progressive after school programs. Her school has very progressive minded teachers mm-hmm. where I, I then look at, we went a couple years ago to speak at the University of Tennessee's sex week. Mm-hmm. And those kids all grew up in Tennessee, never had, we were the first formal sex conversation or sex ed that these freshmen in college had ever had they had nothing yeah. they had abstinence only education so long that even their older brothers and sisters had no formal sex education so they couldn't pass down info to the to the younger siblings wow and it was 
interesting how very basic in you know the information they had was and the, uh, but uh, super proud of the kids for actually learning about it though and sponsoring. They were and eager. Some, they were yeah, like they were, sponges. They were totally yeah, thirsty. yeah, and it just it made me happy and sad all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, and that's been my experience when I have done sex ed in high schools and working with younger people because I mostly work with adults. But when I've done the odd uh, class uh, with high schools and, and or young adults, I agree they are just so eager to learn they you know there's never any issue of me having to make the kids be quiet because the soon a minute that they know that you know the lady's going to start talking about sex they're all ears they just they want this information they want to hear it um and i mean for, for folks who are in regional areas where you can't get that kind of information at school and you can't get that kind of information in your community because it's a religious community or whatever the reasons are you know, th there is a lot of information online. Uh, there is a lot of information on podcasts like this one. And sometimes we are going to have to just be proactive and seek that information out where it's safe, where we're able to do so without endangering our uh, well-being because of parents or, you know, people in power who may threaten us. We, we're not doing that. But, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. So I think, you know, without this conversation happening things aren't going to change but i also think that this conversation can happen even if it's discreet even if it's on the side you know there is there are ways and means of making this happen and i think even us having this conversation podcasts like this stuff that's online is a really great way to access it if even if you can't access it through mainstream resources Mm -hmm. And I also want to give a shout out. You had mentioned websites. One of the most invaluable websites I've seen for young people is Scarletine. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe it's .com. I'll put mm -hmm. the link in the show notes for anybody listening. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend, you know, if you're a parent and you want to know how do I talk to my teens about sex, there's some good modeling there. Or if you have a teen or you are a teen listening, go ahead and make an account at Scarletine.com. Read their articles. Go into the, the forum. There's a lot of wonderful wonderful, wonderful information on that website. So highly recommended. And there's another one uh, based in the UK called Bish, like fish, but with a B for beetle. Uh, I think it's bish.co.uk is possibly it, or bish.com um, is the European uh, equivalent, I think, of Scarletine. Also excellent, excellent. Wonderful. And I'll, I'll verify that address and I'll put it in the show notes as well. And on that note, we're out of time. I I, I know. I'm sad. Aww. We didn't even get to actually open any angels. We just talked about it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll have to have a follow-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for the listeners, where can they find you, find out more about you, connect with you, and all that great stuff? So my website, cindydarnell.com, C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-R-N-E-L-L.com. Uh, I'm a sex and relationship therapist, primarily, among other things, and I have a newsletter that if folks can subscribe to that to keep in touch with me. I'm not going to bombard you with stuff. Uh, I send out newsletters maybe once a month, pretty much just when I've got things to say. Uh, and I'm available uh, 
face-to-face in Melbourne presently, Melbourne, Australia. Otherwise, online via Skype and Zoom, I do consultations for individuals, couples, and groups about their sex and relationship problems. And I'm moving to the US later this year. I'm going to be in New York City. So uh, I haven't got exact dates yet. But that's that's imminent. So uh, if folks want to keep in touch with me, uh, my Facebook page and my newsletter are the best way to do that. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram. But my by the way, Chicago the pizza is reliable. superior. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Chicago pizza, Chicago pizza is superior. Yeah, Chicago pizza you know, is superior. when I was in Chicago, I, a friend of mine, a friend who I was staying with, took me out for the deep dish pizza, and it was like an orgasm in my mouth. It was Good. very remarkable. Thank you. Yeah. So, <laughs> That floppy, mm-hmm. flaccid New York pizza. Fuck that oh. stuff. <laughs> but it's so big. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. This has been a great conversation. I'm sure our listeners are going to be digesting and chewing on this one for a while. And uh, hopefully we can see you soon when you're in the States. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You. See ya. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.